0: Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you ever do a handstand and just look around at the world and hang out there for a while? I don't either. I can't, but it sounds like fun. I can't do that, but sometimes my Kids have asked me, "Hey, Dad, will you pick me up upside down and then lift me up so that my feet are on the ceiling and then move around so it feels like I'm walking on the ceiling?" I'm a cool dad, so I say, "Yes." Pick him up good thing I go to the gym, even though I don't need to, because they're asking me to do stuff like this, and they put their feet on the ceiling and walk around, and they say, wow, it's so cool up here. The floor is white, and it's clean. There's no toys all over the place, and wow, this is fun. There's a whole different perspective to see the world upside down. This is what the kingdom of God is like here on earth. It's It's upside down. What is up comes down, and what is down is actually brought up. In the kingdom of God, Jesus comes to us. He comes down. What is up comes down. The kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And what is down, us who are low, despised, poor, broken, miserable sinners are brought up. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom, and I guess we could say it's also a downside-up kingdom. In the church calendar, we are in the season of Epiphany right now. Having closed the books on the season of Christmas, and before we get to the season of Lent, there's this season called Epiphany. The day of Epiphany always happens on January 6th, and the day of Epiphany commemorates the visit of the Magi, those quote-unquote wise men from the East who came to see Jesus. Epiphany, I mean, it's built into the word, sort of means eyes opened, right? Manifestation. And so Epiphany is all about Jesus Manifestation, making himself known to Gentile people. That means non Jewish people. And the Magi were the first non Gentiles to see Jesus. So now, in this season of Epiphany, Epiphany is kind of all about how the kingdom of God has come here to earth for all people. Jesus came into this world for all people. And so in this season of Epiphany here at Saints Peter and Paul, we're going to walk through the first couple of chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians, where a man by the name of Paul, the apostle, was writing to a church in the city of Corinth all about how the way of Jesus is different than the ways of the world. And so we're going to open this up today. Uh, We did so by reading the first nine verses, kind of the introduction to the letter of 1 Corinthians. I want to reread for you 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 and 5. It says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge. Paul is saying, I give God thanks for the grace of Jesus Christ that was given to you. Today, this is how we're going to open up our conversation about the upside-down kingdom of God, is by talking about the grace of God. Because the grace of God that we receive in Jesus Christ is probably the most upside-down thing about the kingdom of God. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is the game-changer. It is the primary perspective shifter. That if we don't understand the grace of God that we receive in Jesus Christ we probably won't get much else right about the Bible, about Christianity, about our standing before God. So we got to get this one right. So what is this thing called grace? Well, some people have looked at the word grace, and in order to define it, they've made an acronym out of it. Perhaps you've seen this before. God's riches at Christ's expense. Maybe you've heard this before, but God's riches at Christ's expense. This meaning that as people, we receive God's riches not because we deserve it, but because God has given it to us through Jesus. The riches of God, what does that mean? Well, it's what Paul was saying in verse 5. The second part of this, in every way you were enriched in Jesus Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. In the city of Corinth, when Paul is writing to the church here, there were people living in poverty. They were poor by earthly standards. They were part of the church in Corinth. Well, unfortunately, in the city of Corinth, things were like this. Probably not all that different than our society, actually, which is kind of sad, but the people in Corinth who were poor were looked down upon by those who had money. Those who were rich looked down on those who were poor, and those living in poverty weren't viewed very well. And so they thought that when they came into the Christian church that they would have that same sort of standing in the kingdom of God. That because they had less, they must be less in the kingdom of God. And Paul is writing to them and saying, that is not true. You can be poor according to all earthly standards and you can be rich Rich, heirs of the inheritance of God Almighty, the one who created all things, whose kingdom is not of this world. You are sons and daughters of the king, and in all of eternity you will be rich. Not according to worldly standards, but according to God's standards. God's rich is at Christ's expense. It's a, a good definition for the concept of grace. But today I want to expand on this as well and give you another definition for grace. Not in contrast to this, just fleshing it out even more. You could say it's like this. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Today I would like to compare and contrast this biblical idea of grace with the idea of karma, all right, karma. Have you heard of this thing called karma before? Likely you have. If you haven't, I want you to know this. Karma is a primary doctrinal tenet of some major world religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, and even some others teach, if not karma, a similar kind of teaching. And basically, karma says this, that whatever you do in this life, whether good or bad, it will affect your future either in this life or in some future life existence. See, in these other world religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, they believe in ideas of of reincarnation. Not not eternal life like we believe, but a, a reincarnation where you have this this new self. After you die here, you're you're born again into some other kind of form, and that's based on how good or bad you were in this life. That's your, your karma. They would even say that your present circumstances are based in what you did in some former life. So, if you're having a a bad experience, a bad time in life right now, they would tell you that's because you did something evil or bad in a former life, and now you're getting punished for it. So if grace is getting what you don't deserve, a definition for karma then would be getting what you do deserve. Again, this is a primary tenet of these major world religions, but It has also become kind of a popular idea even in Western cultures like ours trying to make sense of why things are happening. Unfortunately, I've even heard Christian people talk as though the Bible teaches karma. And worse than that, I've even heard Christian people speak as though Karma would actually be something to welcome into our lives. I want to demonstrate to you today two things. I want to make it very clear. One, karma is not biblical, is not Christian teaching. And two, you don't want karma to be real. See, some people might like the idea of karma or welcome it if it has something to do with your enemies. Particularly if something bad is happening to your enemies. (laughs) Have you ever had that thought when something bad happens to one of your enemies or somebody you don't like, and you think, ha, finally, they're getting what they deserve? You ever get into that place? That's not a good place to go, my friends. That's not a good place to go because when we do that, we're defining someone based on their failures, defining people based on their mistakes. See, <laughs> so you probably wouldn't like the idea of karma too much if something good happened to your enemies, <laughs> would you? <laughs> You'd be thinking, oh, man. And expand that even farther. Try to apply the concept of karma to yourself. Do you really want to get What you deserve? Not if you're an honest person, and not if you have a full understanding of the weight and the depth and the punishment you deserve because of your sin. Think of it all the thoughts you've had that were not pure, all of the ills that you have spoken about other people. The list of your sins is endless. If you get what you deserve, then you deserve to have every one of those ills spoken over you. If you get what you deserve, you deserve to have your reputation tarnished. If you get what you deserve, you ought to be a public shame. If you get what you deserve, you deserve to die and be separated from all that is good and right for all of eternity. That's what you deserve because of your sin. If karma is getting what you deserve, trust me, you do not want that to be real. But thanks be to God, it's not. It's not biblical. It is not what we get. In replace of that, we get the grace of God in Jesus Christ which is an undeserved gift of life and salvation. We don't deserve it yet, we get it anyways. You know, you know who who Jesus offers this gift of grace to? Who, who who does he offer it to? Every single person who has ever lived or walked on the face of this earth is given the gift of grace on the doorstep of their lives. Jesus offers it to everyone. Even my enemies? (laughs) Yeah. That's not fair! Well, here's the thing about grace. It's a bit confounding for us. It's an upside-down reality in God's kingdom because grace is both the most unfair thing that God has ever done... And it's the most fair thing that God has ever done. Let me explain. Grace is the most unfair thing God has ever done for Jesus. Jesus didn't deserve to suffer. Jesus didn't deserve to be beaten. Jesus didn't deserve to to have his friends run away from him. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He was innocent, blameless, upright, holy, perfect. And yet he died a criminal's death sentence. That's not fair. But because he did it willingly sacrificially. He took your punishment that you deserve, and it was heaped upon Himself where it died once and for all. Your punishment for sin died. This is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is the most fair way for salvation to come into the world. It's the most fair way for God to bring salvation because if he doesn't do it like this then your salvation is based on your success it's based on your circumstances it might even be based on your failures if it's not by grace then it's left up to you And if that's the case, it's it's really not fair because some people in this world would have an unfair advantage over other people simply because of the family they were born into, the education they were given, the riches they inherited. Some people would have a head start over other people in this kingdom of God. And Jesus will not have that. Jesus offers the free gift of grace to every single person person all the time. It's the most fair way for salvation to come into this world. See, grace means that you are not defined by your failures. If you live according to karma, your failures become your future. But in a grace-filled reality, your failures are not your future. Freedom is your future. Freedom is your future. Freedom from punishment. Freedom from sin. Freedom from eternal death. Freedom from your failures. This is good news for you because it means you're not defined by your failures. You're defined by Jesus Christ and His claim on you. <laughs> In our gospel lesson today we read from the gospel of john and in the gospel of john today we heard a story about jesus calling his first disciples to follow him and i i want to recall this story for you one of the first men that jesus called out to to follow him was a man by the name of andrew and andrew followed jesus And that day, that evening, he spent time with Jesus, and Jesus taught him and explained who he was as the Messiah, the promised Savior of the world. Well, after that, Andrew went first to his very own brother named Simon. And he said, Simon, the Messiah, the promised Savior of the world is here. You're not going to believe it. i got to introduce you. And so here's how I imagine this happened. Andrew said to Simon, Simon, let's go see Jesus. And so they went to see Jesus. And Andrew said, once they got to Jesus, he said, Jesus, meet my brother Simon. Simon, meet my friend Jesus. They shake hands. Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, is it? Hmm. I'm not going to call you Simon. I'm going to call you Rock. Not like Dwayne the Johnson rock, not Dwayne Johnson the rock, like that, that not, not that guy, like rock, like the thing you find on the ground. That's what Cephas means, it was in the Bible. I'm going to call you Cephas. That's the Aramaic word for rock. And oh, I'm going to call you Peter. That's the Greek word for rock, okay? So, I'm going to call you rock. Well, the crazy thing after this is that this is what Jesus actually did. Jesus called Simon Peter, and Simon's friends started calling him Peter, and Peter even referred to himself as Peter. I mean, this is a a crazy experience where Jesus changes the name of a man. I mean, we don't, this isn't how introductions normally go, right? Like, if you meet somebody for the first time, You know, I would go up and I'd say, Hi, I'm Aaron. And he would say, Hi, I'm Bill. Bill? Mm. I shall call you Fruitcake. I don't know. we, We don't do stuff like that, right? Like, we don't just, and if we do change people's names, it's usually not for the better. But Jesus gives meaning and purpose, He gives a new identity, He gives value to Peter. And Peter was not defined by his failures because if there ever was a failure amongst the ranks of Jesus' disciples, Peter's record is in the Scriptures. He failed many times. But Peter's identity and his value was not defined by his failures, but he was defined by the one who put a claim and a call on his life. Jesus claimed him to be his very own. He had a new purpose, an undeserved grace. And it's the same with you. It's the same with you. Jesus comes to meet you, to introduce himself to you. You say, hi, I'm Aaron. He says, hi, I'm Jesus. Aaron, is it? Hmm. I'm going to call you precious child. Forgiven. Free. Let me speak that declaration onto your life so it can be true. Jesus has the authority to speak these truths into your life, to change your purpose, to change your value, to fill you with the riches of His kingdom. He has that authority because He's the one who created you in the first place. He's the one who put breath into your lungs and has freed you from the the mess of your failures. Jesus is the one who has named you. Jesus is the one who has given you purpose. Jesus is the one who has given you your value. You are not defined by your circumstances. You are not defined by your failures. You are not defined by the characterizations that the world places on you. You are defined by Jesus. And you you don't deserve this. No one does but that's what makes it a gift. And this is what God gives to you in his upside-down kingdom. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for giving us what we don't deserve. Without your grace, we would be lost and condemned forever but with you there is freedom in the riches of your kingdom. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for doing things upside down. Thank you for my new identity. Help me to live in light of your grace. Amen.